Good morning. Good morning and welcome. Um, a feature of this morning's service at J3 Points, we're going to encourage you to remember your own childhood, to think back to what hopefully were simpler times. So it's interesting that a call to worship this morning comes from Psalm 71, from someone who's at the other end of the spectrum. Psalm 71. In you, O Lord, I have taken refuge. Let me never be put to shame. Rescue me and deliver me in your righteousness. Turn your ear to me and save me. Be my rock of refuge to which I can always go. Give the command to save me, for you are my rock and my fortress. Deliver me, O my God, from the hand of the wicked, from the grasp of evil and cruel men. For you have been my hope, O sovereign Lord, my confidence since my youth. From my birth I have relied on you. You brought me forth from my mother's womb. I will ever praise you. I have become like a portent to many. But you are my strong refuge. My mouth is filled with your praise, declaring your splendor all day long. Do not cast me away when I am old. Do not forsake me when my strength is gone, for my enemies speak against me. Those who wait to kill me conspire together. They say, God has forsaken him. Pursue him and seize him, for no one will rescue him. Be not far from me, O God. Come quickly, O my God, to help me. May my accusers perish in shame. May those who want to harm me be covered with scorn and disgrace. But as for me, I shall always have hope. I will praise you more and more. My mouth will tell of your righteousness, of your salvation all day long, though I know not its measure. I will come and proclaim your mighty acts, O sovereign Lord. I will proclaim your righteousness, yours alone. Since my youth, O God, you have taught me. And to this day, I declare your marvelous deeds. Even when I am old and gray, do not forsake me, O God, till I declare your power to the next generation, your might to all who are to come. Your righteousness reaches to the skies, O God. You who have done great things, who, O God, is like you? Though you have made me see troubles, many and bitter, you will restore my life again. From the depths of the earth, you will again bring me up. You will increase my honor and comfort me once again. I will praise you with the harp for your faithfulness, O my God. I will sing praise to you with the lyre, O Holy One of Israel. My lips will shout for joy when I sing praise to you. I, who you have redeemed. My tongue will tell of your righteous acts all day long. For those who wanted to harm me have been put to shame and confusion. Psalm 71 is the praise and prayer of someone who has been blessed to know the Lord all their life. Who can recall the God of their childhood and ask that same God to be their strength and their security in old age, in failing health. Often we are encouraged to have the faith of a child... Yet to do so would be to ignore many difficulties that we faced as we grew older, as we matured, as we became grown-ups. And yet, as we have grown, God did not grow weaker. As we became more aware, God did not become less relevant, less real. For just as a child's relationship with their parents changes as they grow, so so does our relationship with our Heavenly Father. Though unlike our parents, He does not grow old nor does he grow weak, nor many of the things that we see as our parents grow older. As we gather here this morning, we do so not because we have a simple understanding of the world or lead a blessed and troubled-free lives. We, like the psalmist, are called to worship God in the midst of our troubles. The psalmist prays as if their world is falling apart and their very life depends on it. Yet they worship as the one who has been blessed and strengthened to have the strength of a choir and the vitality of a 20-year-old. As the Lord entered into the midst of our lives, our real lives, let us worship him from the midst of our life with the hope and the vitality of knowing the one who has always been and always will be here with us. Let us stand to sing hymn number 360, Take This Moment.
Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God of the ages, who entered into our time, into our world, and became as us, so that in, our, that in turn our world would be changed, renewed, and we would become like you. We welcome your presence in our lives. We who have grown up in your presence have not always appreciated what a blessing this is, as like children it was for us normal. For those of us who did not become aware of your presence till we were grown, help us to see your work and your presence in our lives before that time. Yet, Lord, it is your tangible presence here today, in this place, in this building and amongst us, your people, that we treasure the most. To know your care and your love for us, making a difference in the lives we lead this day. Be with us, Lord. Encourage us, strengthen us and renew us that we may be your witnesses that we would be hopeful, that we would glorify your name and cause others to worship you for the works you have done in our lives. May we give you reason to rejoice as we worship you in heart and voice, in spirit and in truth. Bring healing and reconciliation to the many and to the few. Lord, we trust in you to strengthen our faith and that you would build your kingdom here. We now pray together to our Heavenly Father. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Who has a favourite toy? Oh. Do you have a favourite toy? Who is it? What's he called? Sheepy. Sheepy? Does Sheepy go everywhere with you? 
Next week, you can ask more about Spider Monkey. Hit code scratcher. Has gone everywhere with her since she was two. Mm. She still has it now. Do you guys still have favourite toys? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I've got a penguin called George. Yeah, he's... <laughs> and he, how long have you had him? Since I was two. Since you were two? And he sits, sits on the shelf, or is he tucked up? He's still there. Okay. Do you, got, do you have a cuddly penguin? No. What's your favourite toy? You don't know. When you go home today, what are you going to play with? You don't know? Okay. You guys have any favourite toys? No. No? no. Oh, well. Do you, do you have toys? Yes, you do have toys. I asked myself this question the other day. I thought, well, what was my favourite toy when I was a child? And the first toy that came to mind, to be honest, is one I'd not thought of for years. And when me and my brother were of a certain age, um, Herbie was big on the TV, but there was a toy called Slam Bam Sam. And it was two little Volkswagen Beetle-type cars, and being not remote-controlled, because this being before then, they were plastic-wired things. And the aim was you crashed them into each other, and they fell apart. And so then you, 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 me and my brother, would then put them back together again, and then we'd crash them again. Very simple idea, you know, actually designed to crash. I want you to do the same. Talk to the person you're sat with and just tell them what was your favourite toy when you were a child. Don't think too hard. Just the first one that comes to mind. Do you know, it's really nice, but I don't know if anybody else noticed, as soon as I said talk about your favourite toy, everyone's face went, ah, and it doesn't matter how old you were or what kind of week you've had, suddenly remembering your favourite toy as a child, and your face bright. I go into the jails on a Tuesday night, oh, <laughs> yeah, it's okay, I go into the jails on a Tuesday, and as you can imagine, in the jail, people have to put on quite an image. And I, they, the same there, I said, what was your favourite toy when you were a child? And it was almost like you were in kindergarten. All these hardened criminals suddenly became five again. It was like a different world. There's something, doesn't matter what kind of upbringing we had, there is something nice and simple about being a child that we forget. Let me ask you a different question. What do you think it means to be grown up? To be over 18. So do you think everyone over 18 has grown up? No. No? Okay. Do you have any ideas of what would you say would be grown up? No. But this is great, actually, because, and I love it because my daughter's the same, that you can get something as simple as a little cloth toy and you play with the toy as if it's real. And you do it for ages and you're caught away with it. Somehow when we're adults we lose that. One of the verses we'll look at later on is the one where Paul says, when I was a child, I acted like a child, I behaved like a child, I thought like a child, I spoke a child, but now that I'm grown up, I've put away childish things. I don't think Paul meant toys. I don't think he meant the ability to sit and take pleasure in the simple things in life. I don't think he meant a lot of what we as grown-ups do. We forget the joys of childhood because we're too busy being serious grown-ups which is why we don't walk around with smiles on our face all the time, and why we can't sit pleasantly for five minutes talking to an inanimate object. Though if you have done that in this last week, don't worry about it. <laughs> you know, yes. There may be a few confessions later, I'm sure, when people said, well, actually, I had a very good conversation with my coffee machine. <laughs> but no. And that's all I want us to think about just now. Isn't it a joy sometimes, the simple things? And to the adults, let's just remember that sometimes. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the toys that we had as children. Thank you for playtime. Thank you for friends, for the clubs that we go to, for the things that we get to do. Thank you for time in our lives just to enjoy. And thank you, Lord, that we are able to do so. Continue to remind us of these times and may you bless the children here today. Bless them in their play. 
Bless them in their imagination. Bless them in their enthusiasm and their energy. Thank you, Lord, that life can be fun. Amen. Let's sing song 356, One More Step Along the World I Go. We listen for the word of God, first from the book of Jeremiah. Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, and before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Then I said, Lord God, truly, I do not know how to speak, for I am only a boy. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I am only a boy, for you shall go to all to whom I send you, and you shall speak whatever I command you. Don't be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. But you, gird up your loins, stand up, tell them everything that I command you. Do not break down before them, or I'll break you before them. And I, for my part, have made you today a fortified city, an iron pillar, and a bronze wall against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, its princes, its priests, And the people of the land. They will fight against you. But they shall not prevail against you. For I am with you, says the Lord. 
to deliver you. And then in the first letter to the church at Corinth. But strive for the greater gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of mortals and of angels, but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give away all my possessions, and if I hand over my body so that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. For we know only in part, and we prophesy only in part. But when the complete comes, the partial will come to an end. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became an adult, I put an end to childish things. For now we see in a mirror, dimly, but then we will see face to face. Now I know only in part. Then I will know fully even as I have been fully known. And now faith, hope, and love abide. These three. And the greatest of these is love. If I can, can I get you to keep thinking about that moment when you were a child playing with your favourite toy? I know not everyone had wonderful childhoods, but we had something we escaped with. 
that small toy, that quiet moment when we sat in the corner of the room, maybe not noticed by anyone, happily playing with the toy. And our understanding of the world was lovely and simple, even if it wasn't always wonderful, but it was nice and simple. Then he started to grow up a wee bit, and he'd move on. I moved on from toys, obviously, onto records and playing football and doing what most people did. I also moved on from the most important in the world, person in the world being my mum to being whichever girl had caught my eye that week. It's not that I was incredibly fickle, I'm just being more honest with hindsight than I maybe would have been at the time. But we also had hopes and dreams. I don't know about you, but do again, permit me to ask you again, just to turn to the person next to you, when you were a child, what did you want to do when you grew up? What did you hope to be? And I'm not saying this to depress you all and think, yes, I know, never made it. <laughs> but just think, and maybe just, you know, mention it to the person sat next to you again. I'm not going to get you to do this too often, but, you know. Be pleased, the other question was be share an embarrassing moment, but I'm not going to ask you to do that. <laughs> so, no. interest, has anyone actually managed to fulfill their childhood dreams as an adult? Oh, well done. <laughs> Can I ask what you had hoped to be and what you, are, what you did? Or? When I was born, my grandfather gave me a nurse's uniform. Oh, okay. Oh, very good. Was it what you'd always imagined it would be? Oh, brilliant. I'm so pleased that there is at least one person who has managed to fulfill their childhood dreams. Yes. No, no. But it's, it, in certain sense, we look at it now and we can laugh a wee bit. Because when you're children, you do have these hopes and dreams of what life's going to be like when you grow up. I was going to either be a pilot or a missionary priest. So, of course, I quite naturally became a maths teacher. It was... <laughs> um, I, for one, I, I raced growing up. I was working by 14, left home by 18, married with children at 20. It was very, very quick. Looking back on it now, I think if I was going to say anything to the younger me is, don't Hurry, it will still be fine. You know, go travel the world, go do whatever it is. And we do have hopes and dreams. But the reality is, as we get older, real life starts to get more complicated. And some of those simple things that we held on to as children don't quite seem the same. Not one to the rest, but you know, we, we grew up, okay, we get that job that we wanted, but the job's not quite what we thought it was going to be. We get married, and our marriage isn't quite what we thought it was going to be, and we have children, and, you know, I love my children. And most now come to terms. Now, some of you will be aware, I have four older children, so I already know this. Sarah's a lovely little girl. She doesn't always play nice. She doesn't always sit down when it would be really helpful to. She doesn't always eat at dinner, and sometimes she even hits other children. It doesn't mean we don't love her, but sometimes being a parent can be difficult. Now, I'm saying that because if there's is any parents in here who had three or four children and say, oh, no, no, mine were all a complete dream, I'm going to ask you which nanny you used. <laughs> we all know that as we grow up, life isn't as simple as we thought it was when we were children. And sometimes we face difficulties that can leave us feeling a bit cynical, a bit bitter, and a bit unsure. A couple of weeks ago, when I was last here, someone mentioned to me there had been a comment passed, not referring to here, but someone had made the comment that a lot of what gets said in churches on Sunday morning is no much, not much better than platitudes. And on the one hand, I didn't even hesitate, even try to deny it, because I know as Christians we're very good with them. As a child, people will say things to you, and you, you readily accept everything you're told in Sunday school, and, and we even had one of those boxes, I don't know, they were quite fashionable at the time, with the little rolled up scrolls. And you'd pull one out and it'd have a, a verse on it or a little meaningful. Yeah, I can see a few nodding heads. And, and you know, that, that was your inspirational thought for the day. And it was all very nice. And the thing is, the word of the, we believe the word of God. We believe that prayer is powerful. But sometimes when someone's struggling, just saying, I'll pray for you, suddenly seems hollow and empty. 
What they really could do with is someone to come around and do the housework, look after the children, give them a couple of hours peace. Telling them, I'll pray for you, is a bit like, well, that's nice. When someone has just lost their job, to say, well, when God shuts one door, he opens another, no matter how well meant, doesn't help the person who's then saying, yeah, but I've got all these bills to pay and I haven't got a wage coming in next month. And maybe possibly one of the ones that is very much obviously trying to be encouraging, but when someone you really loved has passed on, to hear that they are now in a better place, when actually the place you want them to be is here with you, doesn't help. Life, as we grow older, fate makes us face up to things that we didn't really want to face up to. And sometimes we're left with what to say. And things become platitudes because people either say them either because they've got nothing else to say or they say them at inappropriate times. See, the reality is, personally, I'm actually very encouraged when people say they're praying for me. I believe in the power of prayer. So I am encouraged when people are praying for me. With hindsight, I can look back on the failings in my life and see that, yes, God had got something else in store for me and I am now in a better place. At that time, it maybe wasn't very helpful. And like I said, I know my mum's in a better place, but best will in the world, I'm going to still miss her. And sometimes you just want someone else to understand that. And I'm sure many of you are the same. It is too easy sometimes to poke fun. And those people that aren't Christians find it very easy to hear everything we say as a platitude. Oh, it's well meant, it's well kent, it's nice, it makes them feel better about themselves, but it doesn't actually do anything. When I was baptised, I received one of these verses that we often see quoted on things. Someone gave it to me at my baptism. It says, For I know the thoughts I have towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not an evil, to give you a future and a hope. And I was grateful for that because there have been many times in my life when these were the very words I needed to hear. And at that moment, I didn't care who they were originally written for, what the context was, or who they were intended for. At that moment, that's exactly what I needed to hear. So it's not that what we say is meaningless. We just sometimes need to be careful about how we say it and when we say it. Otherwise, it becomes a platitude. But I couldn't help thinking about this conversation I'd had when I looked at today's two verses, two very well-known verses. The one where God is saying to Jeremiah, before you were formed in the womb, I knew you. I called you, I set you apart. And then the other in Corinthians, which is the top, most popular reading at any wedding. It's one that even non-Christians can quote, love is patient, love is kind, love is... And I sometimes wonder if when we hear something over and over again, it loses that power. We lose the sense of what it actually meant. And therefore, when people say it to us, we say, yeah, yeah, so what? And we brush it aside. If we take the text in Jeremiah, the one where God is saying, I've set you apart. Before you were born, I knew you. I called you for a purpose. I'm going to use you. I'm going to speak through you. I'm going to do mighty work through you. He's not saying this to Jeremiah as some comment on predestination or life before birth. He's saying it as an assurance to Jeremiah that God had called him and set him apart But because Jeremiah was nervous, he was unsure of himself, he wasn't quite prepared for what God was calling him to do. And so God is trying to instill in Jeremiah the confidence and encouraging him by saying, you were born for this. You are the very person that I know can go and do this. You have all the right traits, the right characteristics. Your whole life has been building up for you to go and do what I'm asking you to do. Go, fulfill your destiny. Be the person I have created you to be. It is encouraging. Maybe you are someone here who, like me, can look back and has seen the Lord's hand on their lives since they were small. When people say, when did you get to know the Lord? I will honestly say, I cannot remember a time when I did not know the Lord. I've been blessed. And I hope that even those of you that didn't come to the Lord to a later age can look back now with hindsight and say, actually, 
the Lord was in my life even if I didn't recognize it or knew it at the time. If we'd heard these words given to us when we were younger, we would anticipate we were about to lead an incredibly victorious, tremendous, glorious life, glorifying God, claiming victories, going out there and changing the world. That would be the hope. Otherwise, why would God say something like this to us? Within 20 chapters, Jeremiah is cursing the very day he's been born. He's accusing God of deceiving him. He's using some very graphic terms of what he wished had actually happened to his parents. Because he's been beaten up. He's been thrown in a well. No one is listening to a word he has to say. They're ignoring everything about him and they're ridiculing him behind his back. And he's thinking, this isn't, this can't be what I was called for. This can't be right. This isn't what I'm meant to be doing. If this really is meant to be my life, I'd rather I hadn't been born at all. And this was Jeremiah actually doing what God had called him to do. And he seemed to feel he was convinced he was failing. But ironically, he then reassures himself. And he's able to reassure himself because he remembers what God had told him right at the start. That this is what God had called him to do. Because God had told him this not because his life was going to be great. He told him this because he knew he would need the reassurance at the darkest moments. But we will come back to that. Because something that all of us have kind of confessed in a small way is that none of our lives have quite turned out how we planned them to be, how we thought they would be. I know in my case that if I was to number all the good intentions and put them against all the achievements, the good intentions would go on for pages and all the achievements would be a handful of lines. That's if you measure your life in achievements. The idea that we have been called with a purpose, that there is a calling that we have to go out there and fulfill, that to be Christians we need to be doing something, we need to doing something great. I don't know if you've ever sat through one of those sermons where you go away and you feel like you've got to go lead the next great mission. You have to go and save 100 people by your 30. Well, I'm 44 and I'm not sure of one single person that's ever changed their lifestyle because of anything I've ever said or done to them. And it used to really bother me. Not started any orphanages, not been out and stopped hunger. There's still slavery. Even if I make the, our standards small, okay, I never had a desire to be a televangelist. But as Christians, sometimes we feel that we need to prove ourselves to God. I am a Christian, God has called me for a purpose, I need to go out and do great deeds. And then you hit that stage where you realize, I didn't do that. Something else happened. Some other priorities. Life took a different turn. I didn't ever do that. And actually, I very much doubt I'm ever going to now. That moment has passed. The idea of being that great Christian that glorifies God, that makes the mighty difference, hasn't happened and actually doesn't look like it's going to either. On Tuesday nights, as I mentioned, I go into jails. And quite often when I go into the jails, I usually share something of what we've been doing on Sundays with the people that are there. On this odd occasion, it's maybe worth considering their plight just to think, well, where does this leave us? I go into the jails and I meet people who have committed the most horrendous of crimes. They are there for good reason. Some of them will never be released for very good reason. And there are one or two that I've met that I hope that they never will be myself. They have been locked away for very good reason. I will never question that, even though I meet them and I've got to know them. Many of them knew God as a child. Even more of them would have called themselves Christians before they committed their crimes that saw them in jail. They now have to face that reality that not only have they failed in their life, not only have they let themselves down, 
and let themselves down. They've let their friends down. They've let their family down. If they come to terms with what they've done, they also face that reality, and I've let God down. But because of where they are and the nature of what they've done, they have to come with terms of the fact that they feel they can never do anything about it. They can't go back and change what they did. They can't now go out and do a whole host of good deeds to make up for what they did. Because their life consists of living in a cell, getting out for occasional meetings and work duties, and being kept in a cell. The days of them ever doing any great deeds are gone past. Where does that leave them? How can you say to them that God knew you as a child and has called you for a great purpose and each one of us has God's hand in our lives? When their sphere of realm is the people that live on the hall with them and the people they happen to meet at dinner time and that's it. We're not in the same place that they are. But there is good news. Before you start thinking I'm going too far down the we've all failed in lives and we're all getting too depressing. And it does come back to the how do we measure success in life? How do we measure what is a successful Christian? How do we measure what, is, what it means to be someone who glorifies God? Presuming that that's your desire. And this is where 1 Corinthians 13 comes in. See, 1 Corinthians 13 is an incredibly famous passage. The most common um, passage ever read at a wedding. I expect most of you could recite at least half of it without even having to look it up. Love is patient, love is kind, love suffers, hopes all things, and so on. And I've used it myself in the past at request as a basis for a sermon on discipleship amongst the family. It's interesting that it starts the passage, start of the passage, it doesn't say that all the good deeds we do are worthless. It says the good deeds we do without love leave us feeling hollow and empty. In some ways, it's a warning that you will burn yourself out if what you are doing is for any reason other than because you love the people you are doing it for. And we all know that because there are all chores in our lives we have to do, not because we love what we're doing, but they have to get done and we do get exhausted by them. And you can take a verse like love is patient and you can say, okay, how does that apply to our family lives? Well, if love is patient, when we're looking for a new job, and it means that we're going to have to move house. We don't rush into it. We wait till the whole family is ready with it. And we decide what's best for the family. Prepared with the fact that actually this might not be best. If we all want to go on holiday to a certain place. We don't have one person forcing their will upon everyone else. We discern and we wait and we're patient. And we hope that we all come together to a unified decision that, of something that we all want to do. It can be applied in such a way and it makes it quite pleasant. Except the passage isn't about marriage at all. It's not about marriage. It's not about families. It is about relationships. And ultimately, it's about our relationship with God. If we read from chapter 11 onwards, which is the context from this passage, Paul is writing to a church that is in disarray. He corrects them because he doesn't like the way they do communion. He doesn't like the way they worship God. He doesn't like the way they act with the use of spiritual gifts. He's correcting them on nearly every single thing they do. The rich people in the church, when they get together, bring food for themselves to eat. So when the poor people come, they have nothing to eat to the extent they sit there and have nothing, and some of them have even died. And you presume that actually if they'd shared the food, that these people being well-nourished wouldn't have died from their illnesses. When they get to the worship service then speaking in tongues is the thing. If you want to really be a true spiritual Christian, you have to be speaking in tongues. And so they're all yelling out at different times. Of course, some of them aren't speaking in tongues. Some of them have got prophecies. And so they're standing up and say, this is from the Lord. But then someone else will stand up and say, no, 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 this is from the Lord. And they're shouting over each other. Everything they do is about making a name for themselves. Everything they do is about showing off what a great person they are. They want to show they are more holy than everyone else, they're more blessed than everyone else, they're more spiritual than everyone else. To put it in blunt words, they're trying to prove themselves. They're obsessed with focusing on them being the centre of everyone else's attention, that they are better than everyone else, they are a better Christian than everyone else, they are a better person than everyone else, they are better... They are in competition with everyone else. 
Every conversation is about who can win this argument. Everything they do is just that. And Paul's quite blunt with them. He says, you're being childish. Stop it. Stop behaving like children. Stop thinking that the whole world has to revolve around you. But he's also relieving them of a tremendous burden. That you are not what you do. Your life has not been defined by the things you did or didn't do. Your relationship with God is not defined by on the things you have or haven't achieved. In his correcting them, he releases all of us from a tremendous burden. That idea that we have to prove we're saved. That we have to prove that we're good. God loves us. He's forgiven us. It doesn't say we have to prove it. That somehow we need to keep doing all these things so that everyone else can see oh, what a wonderful person they are. It's a natural instinct because from the moment we were born, we have always been trying to prove something. We've either been proving ourselves to our teachers at school and then passing exams, proving ourselves to the boss at work. Even when we get into relationships, we're trying to prove to the other person that we're really someone they want to be with. Then when you have children, you're proving yourself to the other parents that actually, yes, you are a good children and no, it's not your fault. Your child is the one on the floor screaming madly. When I go into the jails on Tuesdays, Those prisoners spend their lives proving to the guards that they can be trusted. Proving to themselves that actually they're okay now. Proving to the judge. Proving to the parole board. Their whole life is about proving themselves to someone. But ironically, even those of us gathered here today find ourselves in that situation where we keep needing to prove ourselves, even if it's just to ourselves. It's all right. I know I'm a good Christian because I managed to get up and pray five times this morning. We set ourselves tasks, we set ourselves things that we have to do to prove that we really are serious about our faith. The bizarre thing that happens by putting these two passages together, which I didn't do, it's what came in the daily readings, is it reminds us that the one person we do not have to prove ourselves to is the very one who was there from the moment we were born. From before we were born, God knew us he hasn't set us a list of targets that we have to achieve he knew us we don't have to prove ourselves to him because he knows our hearts he knows our minds he knows us and you know what when we did get it wrong he was still there when we didn't quite achieve that target we'd set ourselves it wasn't God that was calling us a failure it was ourselves Because God wants to be the one there that we can turn to. The one that we know isn't going to judge us. That isn't going to condemn us. Because he is love. He is patient. He does hope the best for us. But he cares for us. When Paul said about leaving childish things behind, he didn't mean our hopes and dreams. He didn't mean plainfulness or even simplicity. But leave behind the need to prove yourself, the need to be better than everyone else, the need to get the center of attention, to be publicly recognized by being preoccupied by whatever the latest issue is that we have to deal with. Because all of those things will pass. They will come and they will go. And many of them will be forgotten about. The one thing that remains is God. And the love he has for us that has been there since before we were born. On the day that we created, the day that we came into being. He knows us. He loves us. He's forgiven us and we don't need to prove it. If we love him and we love those he calls us to love, then everything else will fall into place. Let us continue to worship the Lord. And we'll sing hymn number, sorry, that's blank, it's on the sheet, yep, sorry, it's on the sheet.
let us pray. Lord, on this Sunday, we bow our heads and humbly address our prayers to you. We do so knowing that all over the world, billions of people are doing likewise. Many, when you analyse the words of their praise, are saying basically the same thing. Help. We are afraid of what seems the endlessly appalling state of our world. Poverty, disease, injustice, prejudice, ignorance, violence, the inhumanity of fellow humans, the scarcity of universal love and compassion. Help! We cry. When will you make it end? Help! Hear our prayer. The cries of children calling out to their loving parent who make all things well, who kiss our wounds better. But we are not children anymore. We are not children. Only in the last week, to add to our universal misery, we heard of a new disease in South America which affects babies in the womb, blighting their innocent lives before they have properly begun. How can you let these terrible things happen, Lord? We cry, as if you are responsible for it all. And although grown up, we want you, Lord, to wave a thunderbolt and make all things well in one huge miracle. We forget that you, as a loving, heavenly parent, gave us a guide which laid out the ways to eradicate so many of our problems. You gave us free will to choose between right and wrong. And we forget the responsibility that goes with free will. You gave us intelligence and skills to deal with all the problems that arise. You gave us the power to transform this world into the ideal dreamt of by visionaries and prophets and humble folk the world over. A world of prosperity, compassion, justice, peace and love. A grown-up world. A world in which we carry out your guidance, follow the example of your Son, Jesus Christ. We love our neighbours as ourselves, in reality, not in dreams. So, Lord, we pray, open our minds so that we can know the tasks you wish us as individuals with varying skills to perform in the service of others. This we pray. Open our eyes so that we can see what needs to be done to help those in need in our immediate area and in the world at large. This we pray. Open our ears so that we can hear and understand the opinions and beliefs of others without prejudice. This we pray. Open our hands so that we can welcome with friendship into our lives those we find strange and difficult and troublesome for whatever reason. This we pray. Open our mouths so so that we can speak to the mighty in every land with your eloquence, crying out that the days of oppression and injustice must end, and end now. This we pray. Open our hearts so that we can bear the setbacks which will occur in our efforts and keep on going regardless. This we pray. We are your children, yes, Lord, but you said that we are also your grown-up body here on earth and must act as your mind, eyes, 
ears, hands, mouth and heart to correct the evils and sorrows of our world and make it a place where your universal love shines out of the eyes of all who dwell here. Let us not forget that fact. This we pray. Give us the strength to grow up to full maturity, Lord. This we pray. And we do so in the name of your blessed Son, our Redeemer Jesus Christ, to whom you also gave free will. He was afraid, but he took up his responsibility and went to the cross for us. For us. He grew up. Let us try to do likewise, we pray. Amen. Heavenly Father, thank you for the blessings of this week. Thank you for those moments that have made us smile. Those conversations, those comments, those small things that have lifted our spirits. We thank you, Lord, for the blessings. And we pray, Lord, that you would take this financial offering and use it for your purposes and for your glory here in Hillhead. That your love, your care, your desire for others would somehow become more real because of it. Amen. Let us sing hymn number 371, For All the Love.
our Heavenly Father, encourage and bless us. May we know the fellowship of his Son, our brother. And may the Spirit of the living God guide us and lead us as God works in us and through us for his glory and hope of the world to come. Thank you.